Hello and welcome to episode 52 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today's show is brought to us by Yamizis at YJV underscore 24 on Twitter, um, who selected the three players that we'll be profiling uh, in the podcast today. There is three uh, sleeper picks um, for the upcoming season, Ryan Zimmerman, Manuel Margot, and then a deep sleeper, Taylor Ward of the Los Angeles Angels. So I dive into those three players. I also have a special Reach Charles segment. Um, When I first shared about Reach Charles um, and, uh, you know, to, to make a long story short, uh, me yelling reach Charles as Charles Woodson uh, was making an interception in Madden uh, during college and having everybody in my dorm room hearing me yell reach Charles because I was so excited about my favorite uh, player on my favorite team uh, intercepting a pass in a fake uh, football game that he returned for a touchdown and won me the game. Um, uh, my buddy Drew was joking around with me because he said I did a terrible job of uh, of kind of explaining the situation. And so I thought it'd be fun to have him on to share a little bit about what he experienced hearing uh, me yelling reach Charles on that famous day uh, way back in uh, 2000 or 2001 when we were both in school at Boston University. He's also a big baseball and fantasy baseball fan. So we talk a little bit about his beloved team, uh, the Mets. I think you'll enjoy that conversation if only uh, to laugh uh, at me, um, and, uh, and, and hear some stories of me, uh, from when I was, uh, in college back in the day. So, uh, definitely listen to that on the next podcast. We will be featuring, um, profiles on Archie Bradley, Ian Happ, and Shane Bieber, three players that should be really interesting. Uh, as I mentioned on the last podcast, uh, from this point forward, uh, folks who do leave a five-star review, Uh, or a five-star rating and a review can select one player to profile, but not a full show. I just want to make sure that uh, we have enough time between now and draft season to actually get into uh, positional previews and, you know, kind of maybe not going as in-depth on some players, but uh, doing the research and being able to share kind of my perspective and some of the some of the things I've gleaned from doing research on all of the players and not just really, really deep dives on 80 of them. Um, so hopefully you understand that, but definitely if you are enjoying what you're hearing, please do that, leave that five-star rating, that review, reach out to me on Twitter, uh, or, uh, via iTunes or your preferred podcast platform and let me know, uh, which player you would like for me to cover. Um, one note on that reach Charles conversation I mentioned with Drew, I mentioned this in the interview, but I believe the first, um, time that I talked about that story was in episode 39. So if you're a new listener to the podcast, you can go back and listen to that if you want to uh, for some context. But if not, you'll get a new uh, perspective on the Reach Charles segment, which is when I find something that I'm really excited and enthusiastic about in fantasy baseball or in baseball. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. That is always the best place to reach me. Also, Instagram at BatFlipCrazy, Facebook at BatFlipCrazyFantasy, YouTube, just search for BatFlipCrazy, and the website is BatFlipCrazy.com. Ryan Zimmerman, Manuel Margot, Taylor Ward, and Reach Charles. Let's get this party started.
First up on today's podcast, we are going to cover Ryan Zimmerman, first baseman for the Washington Nationals. He was not drafted in the two early uh, mock drafts. Um, Those actually cut out a little bit early. Uh, Some teams were like 20 rounds deep. Um, Some weren't quite that far, and they were 12-team leagues. So that's why he doesn't show up. In NFBC, he has an average draft position since January uh, 1st of 327 with a minimum pick of 244 and a max pick of 375. Uh, Playing time is always uh, an issue with Zimmerman. Uh, He's just been riddled with injuries throughout his career. And so that's obviously something to consider uh, as you think about drafting him. Um, He'll be more valuable in DL leagues if you can stash him on the DL. Um, That's something definitely to consider because I think when he does Uh, When he does play, I think he did show last year, and especially in 2017, that he can produce for fantasy owners. Last year, a 264 average after 303 in 2017. A little bit of lack of luck there, though. 279 expected average. Um, So he got a little bit unlucky on balls in play. His BABIP at 284 was well below 2017's 335. Very stable contact. In fact, his overall contact rate went up by 1.3%, uh, though his in-zone contact fell by 0.6%, so right about the same place. His K rate did drop by uh, close to 5%, down to 17% this year from 21.9 in 2017. Uh, so, you know, that uh, he's right around league average for contact, so I'd expect that to go up a little bit next year. So just factor that into your batting average. OBP, uh, pretty solid, 337, better than league average by a little bit, 351 expected OBP. That was after he had a 358 OBP last year and a 358 expected OBP. Uh, The O swing, the plate discipline, actually improved last year by about 5%, down to 26.4%. So that's really good to see. Uh, He did that by being more selective overall, 40.4% swing percentage. So that's down 4% from 2017 and well below league average. So definitely um, prioritized being selected on pitches last year. And it showed with some of the quality of contact metrics. They were actually better in 2018 than 2017. I put out a tweet uh, this morning uh, pointing that out. 9.3% walk rate after 7.6% last year. That reflects the better plate discipline. 33 runs, 10.2% runs per plate appearance. A little low given he bats uh, in the heart of the uh, Nationals' Uh, lineup, and he has a pretty decent uh, OBP uh, right around league average. So I would expect that to be up uh, a little bit, though he isn't necessarily fleet of foot. 13 home runs on 12.7 expected home runs, so supporting that. In 2017, he had 36 on 36.5 expected home runs. So again, uh, expected home runs supporting the totals so far. Definitely don't expect that 2017 return of power. But uh, if he stays healthy, Uh, for long enough. Um, I think Zimmerman can definitely contribute 20-plus home runs next year. Uh, 39.6% hard hit rate, right around where he was in 2017. His ground ball rate did go up by 2.5%, so not necessarily the best news there, but uh, not terrible. It is He has always been a ground ball hitter, uh, well above league average at that 48.9%, by about 5.5%. Uh, His home run per fly uh, ball rate um, um, was the major thing that dipped last year and the reason for the power from 26.5% down to 16.5%. 
Now, um, some of the power metrics, though, were actually better. Uh, 53.7% hard hit fly ball rate in 2017, 48.1% last year. So again, still elite, not quite where he was in 2017. The hard hit pulled fly ball rate, I think, is probably where um, you see a lot of the drop in, in home run per fly ball. It dropped from 31.5% to 18.4% um, last year. And so hard hit pulled fly balls have a very high home run per fly ball rate, about 63% across baseball. Um, and so definitely want to see that rate get back up. But again, year-to-year correlation on that is not super strong. 32 barrels for 9.9% barrels per plate appearance. He was top five in baseball among people with at least 150 batted ball events. So that power is still there. He was 8.9% in 2017 in that massive year. So he actually improved in terms of his barrels per plate appearance. 51 RBI at a 15.8% RBI per plate appearance. You know, the Nationals, even without Harper, are going to have a really nice lineup. Trey Turner, Adam Eaton, Anthony Rendon, uh, Zimmerman, Soto. Uh, So I don't expect him to take too much of a a step backwards in terms of his RBI opportunities this year. Uh, 51 last year and only uh, 323 plate appearances. Um, So, again, very solid. If he can get to 600, he's going to approach triple digits, most likely. Uh, Woba, 351, 358 expected. Uh, He does steal a base occasionally. He's got six in the last three years, although two consecutive years of only one. Um, He's right around league average in terms of his sprint speed. Again, we're not going to expect much of a uh, forward movement there. Uh, Roster Resource has Zimmerman batting fifth in the lineup. Uh, with the guys uh, Adam Eaton leading off, Trey Turner batting second, um, followed by Anthony Rendon and then Juan Soto. So again, a really nice top of the lineup uh, for Zimmerman. Um, Let's take a look at his uh, detailed batted ball profile. Um, So what you'll see is it's super consistent uh, year to year. Uh, Zimmerman had a very low pop-up rate, 14% the last two years, with a plus with a 17.9% uh, hard drive rate. Again, 10.8% is league average. So we're talking like elite uh, hard drive rate there. That's actually higher than in 2017 when you have a, had a 17.4% hard drive rate. The challenge is that uh, he also hit a ton more dribblers last year. His dribblers went up by 4% to 29.8%, which is more than 5% worse than league average. Again, those are not really good batted balls, especially for a guy like Zimmerman who has no speed whatsoever. So that's where he can really improve that batting average and just the overall production is by eliminating those bad ground balls and returning to more ground balls, line drives, um, and hard drives. Uh, We see that reflected in his value hit percentage and poor hit percentage. His poor hit percentage was up 4%, just like his dribblers, um, to 25.4%, so right around league average. Um, His value hit rate was down by 1.7% to 11.5%. So just something to note there. When we take a look at his rolling average graphs, um, contact uh, right around league average over his last 40 games. Um, The ground ball percentage did shoot up. He was struggling with injuries throughout the year, So that's not a surprise. His hard hit rate also trending down um, throughout most of the second half when he was battling those injuries. Um, O swing, very solid though, at 25.1% over his last uh, 40 games and going downward. So 
The contact is pretty steady right around league average. The O swing is improving throughout the year. We see the impact of those injuries with the uh, ground ball percentage shooting up, uh, finishing off around 55% for his last 40 games, and that hard, hard hit percentage um, going down as well. Um, so you can kind of see that the problem with, with Zimmerman last year was a combination of uh, in injuries um, and uh, hitting, hitting too many bad ground balls. So maybe with health, he can hit uh, those balls, uh, hit, hit a few uh, balls not directly into the dirt, uh, and maybe get a few more plate appearances. Again, though, with the price, um, it's now at 325 ADP um, for Zimmerman. That injury history, lack of 600 plate appearances in any of the last three seasons, you know, is baked into that price. And I think the quality of contact remained really high and even better um, in a lot of cases like the barrels per plate appearance um, and the uh, hard drive percentage. So when we take a look at who's going around Zimmerman, the five hitters in front of him are Kurt Suzuki, Freddie, uh, or Tyler O'Neill, Jonathan Lucroy, uh, Matt Kemp, and Kevin Kiermeyer. And the, the folks behind him, Didi Gregorius, Brandon Belt, uh, Mitch Garver, and Adam Frazier. Ooh, I love Adam Frazier. Um, so in this particular case, I think drafting at this position, I think you're really looking to fill in the back end uh, of your team, uh, even some of your reserve spots. I think Zimmerman, if you're looking for some power, um, you're looking for power and RBI, if that's what's missing for, from your team at this point in the in the in the draft, I would look, I think Zimmerman uh, could be a decent uh, provider of those. Um, I would probably take Zimmerman over Belt just because I think the situation is so much better um, for Zimmerman um, and Belt struggles with those same uh, issues. So when it comes to kind of a late first baseman slash corner infielder, Zimmerman's a, a guy I like there. Uh, Tyler O'Neill is obviously very intriguing with the power speed combo, but his playing time is blocked. Um, you know, I, Depending on what my, my team was looking like, I might be willing to take a risk on O'Neill just because, um, you know, because of that power and speed combo. Uh, but I think Matt Kemp is a good, uh, you know, is another good kind of Zimmerman uh, guy that's similar to Zimmerman. Um, you know, so a lot of it is what you, what you need on your team at this point in the draft. I think Zimmerman can return a lot of value um, with that home run RBI combo with a batting average that isn't necessarily going to hurt you. And so if that's what you're looking for at this stage in the draft, I think you could do a lot worse um, than hoping that Ryan Zimmerman stays healthy enough to uh, put up, you know, 500 plate appearances or so um, and contribute greatly and then um, fill in for him with another, uh, another bat uh, while he's out of the lineup, which is pretty much inevitable at this point in his career. Next up, we have Manuel Margot. Uh, outfielder for the San Diego Padres. In the two early mock drafts, he went at an average draft position of 222. He has fallen back since January 1st. Uh, he's going at an NFC, NFBC ADP of 243 with a minimum pick of 176 and a max pick of 349. Now, Margot was a guy who that had a ton of hype heading into next year. Um, thankfully I did not, uh, consider myself in, in that group. I just didn't like what I saw in the batted ball profile. And unfortunately, I think there's been some strides, but I see a lot of the same issues with Margot. And I think it's a really, 
it's kind of interesting because I think a lot of the things that we think about with hitters, um, you know, oh, I want to, I want a lower ground ball rate. I, I want to hit the ball in the air more, um, you know, things of that nature that we, that we kind of look for, um, in, uh, in a lot of hitters, we can't use the same lens with all hitters. And I think Margot is an example of a guy who's hitting a ton of fly balls and it just doesn't make any sense. And I'll get into why that is and why that limits his profile um, considerably from my perspective. But he definitely did have some improvements in terms of skills last year. So let's dive in. 141 games played last year, 519 plate appearances. That's after 529 plate appearances in 2017. Now it's important to note, Roster Resource does not currently have him um, as a starter in the crowded uh, Padres outfield. Right now it has Franchi Cordero, Hunter Renfro, and Fran Mil Reyes as the three outfielders, and it has Margot on the bench. And remember, he's still in competition with Travis Jankowski um, as well, who got some play uh, last year. Comes with similar speed. Uh, batting average, 245 last year, a 255 expected batting average. That's after a 263 average in 2017, 254 expected average. So the last two years, pretty consistently at a 255 expected average right around league league average slightly below um, which is surprising given kind of his contact profile 281 BABIP uh, after 309 17% strikeout rate so down 3% on that strikeout rate his contact remains solid 80% total 80.6 total contact percentage 88.4 in zone so better than league average uh, by a few points in both of those. I think you see that reflected in the strikeout percentage. OBP at 292, um, 300 OBP, expected OBP. He's not an OBP guy. He's not really going um, uh, to help you there. Um, uh, despite some decent plate discipline, 27.7 um, O swing last year, so better than league average. That's two consecutive years at better than league average but only about 6.2% and 6.6% uh, in terms of the walk rate. Um, I would not be surprised um, if he is seeing um, uh, a lot of pitches in the zone since he is not uh, a guy that folks would necessarily uh, be worried about. Yeah, so not surprisingly, he sees a ton of pitches in the zone, uh, right around 50% pitches in the zone where 43% is league average. So he's not walking because guys guys challenge him. And we'll see in a second why why folks are challenging him. Runs, he had 50 runs, a 9.6% runs per plate appearance, which seems low even though he's got the low OBP. But that's the second consecutive year of 500 plus plate appearances with about a 10% runs per plate appearance, which is really low. He had 53 runs at 10% last year. Uh, so, you know, again, like he's not going to have a ton of runs because that OBP is staying low because the batting average is low and, uh, because the OBP, even though he has pretty decent plate discipline, pitchers are firing the ball in the zone because they're not worried about him doing damage at all. Uh, eight home runs, nine expected home runs. He had 13 home runs in 2017. I think folks put a lot of stock in that and saw him as a potential 2020 guy, but that only came on 8.4 expected home runs which points towards a ton of luck. And so it looks like his home runs per plate appearance is much more um, in the 1.6, 1.7 uh, home runs per plate appearance range, um, which is well below league average. I don't think you're going to get power from, uh, from Margot. 
And so those fly balls that he's hitting, those are essentially becoming outs. Um, Hard hit rate also jumped 39.3%, so up 14%. So that's a really nice number, especially for a guy of his stature. But again, we're not necessarily seeing it benefit him anywhere. Um, We're not seeing, um, you know, an expected BABIP uh, that's super high. Uh, We're not seeing, um, you know, home runs uh, from Margot, really. Um, and so again, you know, like the, the, some of the skills are there, but we're not seeing the outcomes. And I think the reason is, is because yeah, he hits the ball hard, uh, but, uh, it's either on the ground or even when he hits the ball hard in the air, uh, it's not going to be a home run because he just doesn't have that power, um, to get it out. Right. Like he's one of these kind of, um, you know, he's got more power than your Billy Hamilton's or, or even, um, your Malik Smith's, uh, but you know, he's hitting fly balls at, a, a, you know, at too high uh, of, a, of a rate. Uh, his ground ball percentage um, was at 43% uh, last year. Um, so right around league average, 40.5% um, in 2017. So he actually did increase that, but his line drive rate uh, stayed uh, low throughout the year. Again, suppressing uh, the BABIP, right? We want to see line drives from a guy like Mar- Margot with his profile his expected home run per fly ball rate, 6.1 and 6.2% the last two years. Not good. Hard hit fly ball rate, 36.5% after 29% last year. Hard hit pulled fly ball percent, 35.9% after 25% last year. So again, even with that uh, increase in hard hit pulled fly ball rate, which I think is where he's going to get his home runs, right? He's going to pull those home runs. Um, even with that, you know, he remained below 10 home runs uh, for the year. 13 barrels, uh, 2.5% barrels per plate appearance, up from 1.9% barrels per plate appearance, still well below league average. So again, he's not making quality contact. Um, RBI 51, 9.8% RBI per plate appearance. Uh, I'd be, you know, that's going to be low because uh, he's probably going to be batting leadoff or, you know, he's going to be in a bad position, right? He's either going to be batting le- uh, leadoff and not have a chance to get those RBI or he's going to be batting towards the end of the lineup and have the pitcher uh, uh, batting behind him, which is something you don't, that's not an enviable position. Uh, 288 Woba, 293 expected Woba, 11 stolen bases, uh, 2.1% uh, stolen bases per plate appearance. That's down from 3.2% um, percent, uh, in 2017, although his overall stolen base opportunity percentage uh, went up to 14.7% from 12.2%, which is well below or well above league average. So that's good. And the dude is fast as hell, 29.4 feet per second for the last two years. That is truly elite. I believe it's a top 30 number um, in all of baseball. So really nice. The challenge with Margot though, is that over the last two years, he's been really bad at stealing bases. Last year, he only had a 52.4% stolen base success rate. Um, so he was essentially uh, 11 for 20. Uh, and then even before that, 70.8% stolen base success rate in 2017. So two consecutive years where he's got below, you know, kind of sustainable stolen base success rates that would be around 75%. So that's not to say that he's not going to steal bases, but, you know, unless he improves as a base runner, he's not going to be able to put that speed to use uh, like you would hope. Let's take a look at his batted uh, ball profile and his detailed batted ball profile, and you'll see what I mean about too many fly balls. 
19.9% pop-up rate. So 2% above league average in terms of his pop-up from a guy who's got speed. That's the last thing that we want to see. His fly ball rate is also elevated, 12.9%. So 2.5% worse than league average. And again, like he's not going to be hitting a ton of home runs on fly on fly balls. A lot of these are going to be outs. Uh, his hard drive rate uh, was up by 1.3%, but still below league average by 2.5%. Again, he doesn't drive the ball in the air. And then his dribbler percentage is at 25.2%. That was actually an improvement of 4%, but still worse than league average. So the key for him is that his poor hit percentage is 5% worse than league average at 30.8%, and his value hit rate is below league average. And so I know he's a super popular guy to break out, and the stolen bases give him a relatively decent floor. But the problem with Margot is the type of contact that he makes. He's trying to be, he's got the, the batted ball profile, at least in terms of like ground ball versus, you know, fly ball of, um, of a power hitter, but he doesn't hit for power. So his expected BABIP dropped 32 points. Uh, from 2017, from 322 to 290. Um, again, you know, if he continues to hit a ton of fly balls, unless he pulls the every single one of those hard ball, those fly balls hard, he is not going to have a lot of success with the batting average, and that's going to that's going to eliminate some of the benefits that he's got because of the higher contact rate. And again, the, he's got de- decent plate discipline, but he's not going to have a high walk rate because folks aren't afraid to challenge him in the zone. He's seeing more than 50% of pitches inside the zone. Um, you know, in fact, he peaked at close to 60% of pitches in the zone, which is insane. Over a 40-game rolling average in, in August, he had a, a 60% of the pitches were in the zone because folks just aren't afraid um, uh, to challenge him. And so um, that's something to keep in mind. Uh, is the contact again very solid in the upper 80s, low 90s? Um, very solid for in-zone contact. Plate discipline very consistent and solid, right around, right below league average. Um, hard hit rate, a lot of var- a lot of variance there. But again, you know, hitting the ball pretty hard. But again, he doesn't have the skills or the power to be able to to do something with that. And then his ground ball rate towards the end of the season. So in the second half of the season. 35.9% over his last 40 games. Um, again, it's not, I'm not saying that like he's got to hit the ball on the ground all the time, but it's just key. And so, so let's, let's take a look right now, just on the fly. Let's take a look at his BABIP and what it looked like. It's heading straight down along with the ground ball rate he- heading straight down. Uh, so over his last 40 games, his BABIP was at 248. It's literally like just a downward trend um, uh, over the second half along with the ground ball rate. And so again, like he's a guy that you want to be hitting a lot of ground balls and a lot of line drives, getting on base that way because the power just is not there. So unless he finds some more power, I really think we're going to see the same issues continue to trouble Margot. Again, the stolen bases are going to give you a little bit of something, but he's not a particularly good base runner, right? He's He's been unsuccessful generally speaking over the last two years in a ton of attempts in a pretty big I mean he's got 28 stolen bases over the last two years and he's probably got about a 60 percent success rate 
Um, so you're looking at like, you know, close to 30 stolen base attempts over that time and having such a poor uh, stolen base success rate. So just something to consider. Again, he's going much later in drafts this year than he was um, uh, last year. And so, you know, you're not paying the same, you're not paying the same price. It's 244, but you, you are passing up on some pretty talented dudes. I mean, just look at some of the folks going around him. You got Joe Musgrove, who I love. You got Kenta Maeda. Um, you know, some of the bats aren't as enticing. You got uh, Sano, Seeger, not guys that I like a lot. Uh, Alfaro, Mejia, Smoke. Smoke's decent. So a lot of kind of like back-end first catchers. You have Kyle Tucker going around here. Jackie Bradley Jr. Behind him, you have like Peter Alonzo. Um, is the uh, Jorge Alfaro, Mike Zunino, Danny Jansen, Jeff McNeil, Randall Grichuk. So like, you know, you're going, you're getting, you have a lot of guys that you're kind of like, you know, hoping that whatever that one skill is that they have, that they can really maximize it. But I'd rather take a guy like, you know, Grichuk, for instance. Um, I'd rather take a guy like Crone. Rather take a guy like Josh Bell going later or Jake Bowers, Max Kepler, Ian Happ. Um, you know, and this is really an area of the draft that I'm targeting pitching, right? Right in this area, you have Joe Musgrove going, you have Kenta Maeda going, you have Steve Matz going a little bit later um, in the draft. You have Reynaldo Lopez, you have Tyler Skaggs. Um, you know, so uh, I'm not really going to be a guy that's targeting um, Margot here. If I'm looking for stolen bases, I'm going to go for a guy that's got a better profile, um, with a guy like like a Jake Bowers, for instance, who also has outfield and first base eligibility. I'm not going to be targeting Margot. I see why people are going for him, though. Um, it's not to say that there isn't anything in the profile that's nice, right? The contact skills are nice. The play discipline um, is solid. The speed, just from a pure running perspective, is really, really strong. Um, it's just that batted ball profile. And the fact that he's acting, he's, he, his batted ball profile is is that of a not very good power hitter. And it's just going to drive the BABIP and the batting average down. It's going to drive the OBP down. And he doesn't even have a confirmed place in the lineup. And so can he be consistently good enough to stay in that lineup with some of the other talent that they have? I just don't know. So I'm not going to be be drafting uh, Margot uh, around pick 250, but uh, the cost isn't as high as it used to be. And there's certainly some upside with the stolen bases. Next up, we have Taylor Ward, third baseman for the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, Ward was not drafted in the two early mock drafts, and he is going at an average draft position of 657 in the NFBC, low pick of 495, uh, high pick of 718. Again, this was a kind of sleeper pick uh, by somebody who left a rating and a review, but I think it's a really intriguing one. Uh, Ward is not currently listed on uh, the Angels roster, uh, according to roster resource, so he's going to have to earn some playing time uh, in uh, in spring training. Uh, he's got Zach Cozart in front of him at third base, but it's definitely an intriguing profile that Ward has, so let's jump in it. Played 40 games last year in his rookie season, 147 plate appearances. He only hit 178 with a 201 expected batting average. But a lot of the underlying metrics are a lot better than the results that he saw in that small sample. He only had a 214 BABIP 
um, struck out 30.6% of the time, but that's a huge number considering the fact that his contact rate was above average, as was his in-zone contact rate. So over a larger sample, I would definitely expect that that K percentage would drop significantly, uh, you know, right around league average, so even up to eight, eight points. Um, so that's something to consider when thinking about his batting average and the fact that in 2018, uh, in the minor leagues, uh, he hit well over um, 300 uh, with a low strikeout rate throughout his minor league career. AAA was his highest K percentage at 22.8%. Um, but before that, he hadn't topped 20 in any league, hitting 352 and 345 in AA and AAA uh, last year. So, you know, there's some pedigree there. He's, he's age 25. So just consider that age when analyzing that. So we saw the contact skills are actually solid despite the strikeout percentage being low, very low BABIP, um, expected average uh, a, t- a little bit higher than the average, but still below what we want it to be. Not surprisingly, the OBP is also low, 245, but with a two expected OBP of 266. Now his O-swing, his plate discipline, really strong, 23%, uh, so about 8% below league average. Uh, or better than league average in this case. And he's very selective. He's only swinging at 39.6% of pitches. That's 7% below league average. So very selective guy. Surprisingly, though, his walk rate, um, just like that K percentage, does not match the underlying skills. 6.1% walk rate, 8.5% uh, being league average. So he was well below league average, despite having well above league average plate discipline. So over a longer period of time, I think you would see that walk percentage jump up, just like you'd see that K percentage go down. 14 runs, 9.5% run per plate appearance. Not surprising it's so low given the low batting average in OBP. He did manage six home runs on 4.6 expected home runs, so right around league average in terms of his power so far. The underlying metrics on the power generally weren't super strong. Hard hit rate, 30%. um, uh, ground ball rate was really nice at 34.8%. So that's another tick in his favor. Expected home run per fly ball rate, a little bit below league average at 11.8%. It was actually 15.4%. His regular home run per fly ball rate, so solid there. But again, you know, hard hit fly ball percentage, 308 below league average. Hard hit pulled fly ball was above league average at 417 Right at league average with seven barrels for 4.8% barrels per plate appearance. So, you know, kind of average power that he showed. The one thing that I'll say about the hard hit fly ball percentage and the hard hit pulled fly ball percentage is with this amount of a sample size, it's going to be really, really small. So I wouldn't put much stock in that. Um, the barrels, obviously, league, league average. The ground ball percentage uh, points to some power potential, but that hard hit rate uh, probably should get up a little bit. Again, small sample, first experience in the majors. 15 RBI, 10.2% RBI per plate appearance, not uh, great, not surprising given what we saw in terms of outcomes. A 268 expected weighted on base average on a 255 uh, WOBA. Um, So again, not very good, but a lot of what we're looking at that wasn't good is outcomes. I actually think the skills are pretty solid. Two stolen bases, uh, 1.4% stolen base per plate appearance, so right around... Um, league average. He did steal 18 bases in the minors, so there is some speed um, there a little bit. We see that with his sprint speed at 28.1 feet per second, uh, which is 
um, uh, better than league average by about a foot per second. And he also attempted a stolen base at a league average rate as well. So there is some some stolen base there. I think the challenge with Ward and his value is that last year I actually owned him um, in a few leagues towards the end of the season because he had catcher eligibility. But he was playing third base, so now he only has third base eligibility. And so I think that um, uh, that raises some concerns about his value because he's now at a very deep position um, at third base. But I can see why... Um, he would be a, a player that folks would be interested in looking a little deeper at, especially um, in some deeper leagues, because um, you know he does have really nice underlying skills and then a pedigree in the in the minor leagues that's very solid. Um, you know, I, he wasn't a super high ranked uh, draft pick, you know, fifteenth, but in terms of the actual production, uh, I should say, is is what I'm mentioning there in terms of pedigree. He did perform from a production standpoint especially in 2018. Uh, Z contact for rolling uh, average graph, uh, again, better than league average, 87.5% over his last 20 games, since he's got such a small sample, only 40 games. Uh, Ground ball percentage, well below league average by about 5% over that last 20 games. Um, Hard hit rate creeping up a little bit, 30.2%. Again, not where we want it to be, but, um, you know, uh, there's there's some possibility for growth there. And then the O-swing, really solid at 23.2%. Um, so uh, overall, very solid underlying skills um, for Ward. Uh, let's take a look at his uh, detailed batted ball uh, profile. Um, if I can just get it up here uh, really quickly. It would help if I was looking at actual batters, folks. Um, so uh, I was looking at pitcher, pitchers. So there's a reason why I wasn't finding him. Um, so when we take a look at his detailed uh, batted ball profile right here, we see some issues with pop-ups. So a lot of fly balls, but a lot of bad fly balls. 24.4% pop-up percentage. That's 6.4% uh, above league average, and that's a really bad number to have. Um, he also hit more fly balls uh, than league average, which is also a little problematic just because the BABIP on those is pretty low and a ton of them don't go for home runs. Hard drives at 10%, so slightly worse than league average. Dribbler percentage around league average. So you can see why he struggled from a uh, batting average uh, perspective last year when you couple that with the, the lack of luck in the strikeout department. That's why you get such a low uh, batting average. value hit rate, so right at league average of 9%. Poor hit rate, though, of 27.2%, worse than league average. So not a surprise about um, how poorly he went. You know, he's going very, very late in drafts, and he's a guy who's already gotten a little bit of playing time, and the Angels, you know, it remains to be seen whether they're going to be competitive or not. I do think the skills um, and the 28 production in the minors is very interesting because you have a power speed combo um, there uh, that that's obviously always really nice I think the challenge again and where he takes a big hit is the fact that he doesn't have catcher eligibility this year he's only got third base eligibility so unless he's playing uh, you know 15 20 games there this year he's not going to have that catcher eligibility and for that reason you know I think he takes a pretty big um, hit to his value uh, this year. So he's a guy, you know, in your 50 uh, team draft and holds, you know, you're going to be looking at him maybe in your 50 player best balls. 
you're going to be looking at him and he may be worth a late flyer. But I think because of the position eligibility um, and because right now he isn't on uh, the Angels roster um, and he didn't produce in a way that would have kind of pushed them to uh, force the issue at all, uh, I think it's very unlikely that he uh, produces. But again, uh, I've been wrong before. Next up is my interview with Andrew Matney, who goes by Drew, or I know him by Drew, a good friend of mine uh, from college, who's going to share a little bit of his perspective on Reach Charles. Uh, In the interview and in this intro, I actually mentioned that uh, the Reach Charles segment debuted in episode 39. That is incorrect. Uh, The Reach Charles segment, which includes my description of Reach Charles, uh, debuted in episode 36. So if you're a new listener to the podcast or did not listen to that one and you're hearing this Reach Charles kind of out of context and you're looking for context, uh, just go towards the end of episode uh, 36. Uh, You can find my initial description of uh, Reach Charles, which is is mentioned at the beginning of the uh, interview. So hope you enjoy my interview uh, with Andrew Matney. I would like to give a warm bat flip crazy welcome to Andrew Matney. I know him as Drew. How you doing, Drew? Doing great, Toby. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, as folks know, we do a little segment on the show called the Reach Charles segment. This segment debuted on episode 39, I believe. And in that episode, I gave a little bit of a description um, about what Reach Charles is. It's essentially something in fantasy baseball or baseball that I'm enthusiastic about. But it comes from a story uh, way back, way back when, when I was in college with Drew. And um, I got really excited over a video game. Now, I shared this story and uh, Drew reached out to me because he was very, very disappointed uh, in my performance on that podcast and in my description of what took place with the reach Charles and felt like the audience of the show really needed to know, you know, what happened that was so special uh, that afternoon in the Boston university dorm. So Drew is joining us uh, to share kind of his side uh, of the story and what reach Charles is about. Is that, did I get that right, Drew? Toby, you got it just right. And I'm glad you put me on to set the record straight because I think your audience really needs to hear the full story of reach charles all right let's hear it so guys you gotta you gotta understand toby was a freshman at the time uh, my roommate and i were sophomores we were right next door this is a dorm room but during the day we're at boston university really fun school experience but it's during the day we're you know, studious students studying it's pretty quiet people are watching movies listening to some music toby had come in you know that year it's pretty quiet uh, laid back Northern California guy, listened to a lot of Bob Dylan, just super chill. Pretty much exactly how you hear him on the podcast now. But he is a rabid Raider fan, in particular, a rabid Charles Woodson fan. And he would always play as the Raiders in Madden football. I can't remember what year it was like Madden 2000, maybe Madden 2001. I'm not, I don't really remember. Yeah, something like that, yeah. So my roommate and I are just sitting in our, our dorm room, just, I don't even know, just doing nothing. And all of a sudden, out of no, I mean, it's dead stone quiet. Out of nowhere, you hear, reach, Charles, reach. 
And so we just start <laughs> burst out laughing because it's like an outburst out of nowhere. So we run to next door and there's Toby already rewinding because Madden had that great rewind feature. He can rewind the play. And of course, Charles Woodson is making an amazing interception and Toby's running around the room screaming. So that's really what happened. And, you know, don't don't listen to Toby with his like, quiet man. Oh, reach Charles. None of that. He was screaming like a banshee. So I just want to set the record straight. That's what happened. Yes, that that is what happened. I come across as a laid back dude, but really uh, I am I am crazy at heart with enthusiasm um that i i think that was a great telling drew we're gonna have to put that at the front of every single reach charles episode that we that we that we do uh so that so that folks have a true sense of what happened uh, that afternoon at boston university your audience deserves nothing less they deserve <laughs> the truth they need to know what they're getting into and listening to bath with crazy so I, I that's great yeah it actually is kind of it it reminds me of uh I, I think I, I can't remember if I put it on, on one of the podcasts, but uh, Travis Shaw, when he had a stolen base that helped win me a championship this year. That was um, big uh, we tweeted about that or texted at the time about that one. That was big. Yeah, yeah that was big. Um, sweet. Well, well, Drew, you, uh, you're a huge baseball fan yourself. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, you are a fan of the New York Mets. I don't say that because I have anything against the Mets, but just because I know that that experience yeah, um, that has been one of, one of suffering for you. Sure. Um, how are you feeling? How are you feeling so far about the, the off season moves under uh, Brody Van Wegenen? And then <laughs> I think like a lot of Mets fans, you know, excited at the change, you know, you respect Sandy Allison as a person, you know, surface to his country, uh, a serious guy committed to baseball, um, did the best he could, I think with, the ownership situation the Mets have, they just really refuse to spend money for some reason. They are very wealthy, by the way. I don't mm-hmm. understand their money stuff. Uh, so, again, excited to start. The Cano trade, you know, it's a, it's a, it was a big move. Yes, he's older, but he can still hit. It's going to be probably pretty terrible in three years. But for this year and next year, which is when we have DeGrom and Thor still under contract, I understood the idea to sort of go for it. Then you get Ramos, and I like that because he's a righty. We only had to give him two years. It wasn't a lot of money. So then I'm getting pretty excited. Also, obviously, in the Cano deal, we got Diaz, which was probably the centerpiece of that deal. Elite closer. That's great. We get Familia back, who is, sorry, familiar to the match. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. That was great. Uh, That was great. Uh, And I think they, you know, envision using him as a multi-inning guy. The same with uh, Seth Lugo, who they have. Uh, and it makes me excited the Astros are interested in Seth Lugo because if the Astros are interested, <laughs> then you need to redo all your analytics and figure out why they're interested and utilize him in the right way. You know, so, you know what teams should do? They should just float different guys to yes. the Astros. I totally <laughs> agree. Be like, who, who are you interested in? Who, yeah. who of these guys would you like? And then be like, okay, we're keeping those guys. There that are more strategies, especially when you're the Mets and you have. I think last year they had three data people employed, which is obviously pathetic. Yeah, yeah. I was so I, I, I was reading something today that they're the only MLB team that didn't have scouts at the Gulf Coast League last year, like the low minors. Um, yeah, I don't know how expensive scouts are, but I assume <laughs> not that expensive. But uh, uh, Brody Van Wagenen and also texted out a 
a picture of a lot of Mets staff earlier this week, like working hard. <laughs> and it, they were all sitting on like folding chairs. I mean, maybe they were in some sort of hotel, but it seemed like they were <laughs> at City Field. And I don't know why they're very relaxed. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. So, again, like I was excited for the beginning part of the offseason, but it sort of stalled out. And I'm not sure why. If you if you make the Cano trade to go for it with a two year window before he gets too old, why don't you just complete it? I mean, we have, with Cespedes out, no real righty power. And Machado sitting out there at age 25, even if it's a 10-year deal, which I know is going to be bad at the end, he's going to get six or seven years of value. And then you just worry about, as a big market team, the end of the contract at the end. You figure it out. Yeah. So that's Howard, unfortunate. Who, what would you like them to do? Obviously, the Machado stuff it would be great, but probably isn't going to happen. Are there... There are guys out there that you're kind of looking at, um, free agent-wise? If all the big-ticket items are off the table, I really would like to see them get one more power arm and spend some money that way. Hmm. I know everyone's probably still wants Adovino, but that would be a great fit, and it would give them a, a true like top four in the pen, sort of like what the Yankees are doing with Britton, Green, Chapman, and Batances. Um, I like that a lot better, and then it would push the last two or three guys, depending on how many pen guys they carry down the level. So Gesselman will be the fifth guy and then whoever makes it out of Zamora or um, Drew Smith, push them down a level and not have to rely on them. And then also if there's an injury, you can, you can sustain your pen. You don't, you don't have to go right to the minors and pick out some unheralded guy that you're not sure of. So I'd like to see if again, no offensive big ticket items are out there, pick up an out of, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I mentioned this to you before um, that, you know, we, we have this really long thread with all of our buddies who do this baseball trip uh, every year. And occasionally I switch allegiance to different teams and I've switched allegiance to the Mets this year because I'm a fan. And I think I've expressed that I, I think they're going to be good this year, but I think their pitching staff is awesome. I mean, I think Steve Matz is going to be really good. Wheeler's obviously good. Um, DeGrom, Thor, um, who am I missing? Well, you're you're only missing Jason Vargas as a fifth star. Jason Vargas, who I also like. I've like been tweeting out like mad about how I love the Jet, uh, the Mets, the Jets, the Mets. Uh, we were also texting about the Jets and their hiring of Adam Gase, but we won't oh, talk about that on so this. Um, uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, you're a Giants fan though, so it's cool. Um, and so. Um, uh, I really like what they're what they're doing, and then the bullpen. Obviously, we've seen you know teams recently with uh, very good bullpens go deep into the playoffs, and so they're at least I think setting themselves up for success there. And then they get whatever offense they can, and they don't need to be elite necessarily because the pitching is so good top to bottom. So I have I have I have a little bit of hope, but I'm also not a Mets fan, so I haven't experienced what you have over these. These yeah, I feel years. like that was the exact exact plan last year. It was great <laughs> pitching staff, and we don't have to get that much out of the hitting, and then we got nothing. And yeah. we lost, I don't know, 28 games in May or something. <laughs> well, now June. you have a 36-year-old second baseman. So what could go wrong? The Mets yeah. have a great injury history, too, so it's great. Totally. Awesome. Um, and you, are, you play fantasy baseball um, a lot as well. Um, in fact, uh, Drew and I were in a fantasy baseball league together for a very long time. We are only now in a fantasy football league together. And that's because I won the league four years in a row and it disbanded. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Drew. Can you explain that to me a little bit? 
I can't explain it. Toby's very good at fantasy baseball. And actually, uh, it didn't disband. We just told him that so we could kick him out. And then the rest of us just play and pretend we don't. So it, it all worked out great. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was kind of brutal because I think I lost the last year. I like won four years in a row and then I lost. But anyways, yeah. um, but you play a lot of fantasy baseball. You're a very good fantasy baseball player. Um, give us Thanks. some ideas of guys you like on the Mets who who you think could contribute this year or alternatively guys who are going to follow the Mets pattern of getting injury and fading into obscurity. Uh, well, the injuries, I could assure you, it's everyone. But uh, <laughs> no, honestly, I actually keep an eye on Ramos this year. Uh, you know, obviously he can hit and the injury concerns are there, but he is basically the only righty power bat in the Mets lineup while Cespedes is out. And it sounds like Cespedes could be out anywhere from until mid-June through the entire season. And with them having um, Nemo, Cano, and Conforto as all lefties, I think Ramos is going to have to hit in that sort of top three or four. So there should be RBI opportunities uh, aplenty for him. And he does usually hit for a pretty good average. So I I think that's one name to keep an eye on, especially at the catcher position, which is pretty weak. Yeah, they have him batting fifth right now on roster resource. But when you look at the guys ahead of him, I mean, the thing is the the lineup could be – very solid. I mean, Nimmo obviously is an OBP guy who, you know, we don't know if he's, if he can be consistent enough to kind of take that first half and continue it, but some good trends, Todd Frazier, kind of blah, uh, Robinson Cano though. And then Michael Conforto, who I like a lot. I just, we just did a pod on him. Big fan of Conforto heading into this year with For what sure. he was but able to do. Three so. lefties. So that's, can't really put them all together. It's not going to yeah. work. You're just going to mow down late in games with a, of a power lefty. Yeah, but innings one through six, they're going to be great. <laughs> yeah. I just think, I think uh, Mickey will split them up. Yeah. And well, I it, think Ram also slide in there, I think, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Obviously, McNeil is a guy who a lot of folks are, have been talking about because of the contact skills. And then Rosario, sure. it'll be interesting to see whether he can continue that second half that he had. Uh, any other guys that are that kind of stand out to you and either values or dudes who you're like, eh, I've seen too much I guess already. The, the big wild card will be uh, Peter Alonso. I mm. assume they'll give him the Chris Bryan treatment early in April, but they might not. Um, and he's got real power. I mean, it's a full 80 on the power scale. Um, his K percentage did go up in AAA. So, you know, it was a smaller sample. Is he going to adjust to that? Did pitchers figure him out? But he does hit to all fields. Again, that power will play even in, at City Field. And he's a monster. And if uh, he works as hard as he talks about working uh, on Twitter, uh, I'm excited for him. But you know how rookies are. You can't count on them. And if they're great, that's awesome. If not, well, they're rookies. Yeah, we. Uh, I did a first base preview with the Fantasy World Order folks. And um, we talked about Alonzo. I was actually surprised. I mean, Triple A last year was the only time he really struggled with strikeouts. That's right. Um, and so I kind of thought of him more as, and maybe it'll be the case as he gets into into the majors, but as a really big swing and miss guy. So if you can keep that K percentage reasonable with the with the contact you mentioned, the power you mentioned, I mean, um, you know, folks have mentioned, you know, his forearms like Mark McGuire. Uh, that's like my favorite description of his power. Um, you know, Hopefully that, he's all natural. That, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but who knows? I mean, him and Conforto could be the new Bash brothers. 
You never know, dude. That would be great. That would be great. I oh. deserve it. It's been 37 <laughs> years of rooting for the Mets and very little to show for it. Yes. Yes. Um, cool. All right. Well, anything else you wanted to add? Any other stories, you know, from Toby about Toby that you wanted to share with the world or, uh, or fantasy baseball uh, advice you wanted to, to share with the listeners before we uh, end the interview? The best fantasy advice I can give is to keep listening to podcasts like Toby's. It's so much information out there now, and it makes people with full-time jobs and kids and, you know, the whole thing that everyone has, it just makes it so much easier to take that information and utilize it. And it's, it's all, most of it's free, which is great. And I think it's just doing uh, really good things for fantasy baseball and also increasing the interest in regular baseball. So just keep on staying connected. It's a great community. Uh, guys like Toby are doing amazing things, giving us all this kind of time. So uh, I really love the state of the game. You nailed the promo for, for Batflip Crazy. It's my pleasure. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Drew. Really appreciate it. Anytime, Toby. Um, lo- looking forward to uh, massive text chains uh, headed forward into the baseball season. Thanks, Toby. Appreciate it. Take it easy, Drew. That is going to wrap us up for episode 52 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast. Thank you so much um, for listening. We took a look at Ryan Zimmerman, a guy who can still make very, very good uh, quality contact. Obviously has some playing time and injury issues, but while he's playing, he can still uh, contribute in a solid Nats lineup. We also covered Manuel Margot, a guy that I've always been a little bit lower than the overall fantasy industry. I still think he's got a lot of the same issues for why I was down on him last year. The price is not as high. Um, You know, the potential is great with the stolen bases, but I'm probably going in a different direction at that point in time in the drafts. And then Taylor Ward, a very deep sleeper for your 50 uh, 50-player draft and holds or best ball tournaments. A guy who lost a lot of value when he lost catcher eligibility, uh, but has enough uh, skills that he's shown, not necessarily outcomes, but skills that he's shown in the big leagues, as well as uh, a really uh, solid minor league track record uh, to be worth a very late round pick maybe in one of those. Um, So uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoyed the interview uh, with my buddy Drew. I'm going to have to have him on um, some other times. It's just fun. Uh, to chat baseball uh, with him. Uh, he's got a he's a smart dude, has an interesting perspective um, on uh, baseball, fantasy baseball. You can give him uh, a follow uh, at um, Andrew Matney on Twitter. We did not uh, go over that. Or actually, at Midnight Matney. Uh, so at Midnight Matney, if you want to give Andrew uh, a follow. Um, yeah, thank you so much for listening as always. Um, really appreciate it. If you'd like to connect um, on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy, that's the best place to reach me. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Best of luck with your fantasy baseball research. Take care and be kind to one another.